0: Welcome back to What's in the Box, a Doctor Who podcast that invites you to delve into that magical blue box and pull out some of your favourites or recommended things from the world of Doctor Who. My name is Jim, and I'll be your host as we tiptoe through time and space to uncover the ingredients that make Doctor Who for you. Tonight, I'm delighted to welcome my next guest to the podcast, Mr. Matt Dennis. Hello, Matt. Hello, Jim. Hi. Hi. Uh, how you so much for inviting me on. Oh, no, no. I'm very, very honoured that you uh, accepted the invite. Um, and how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm very well, thank
0: you. Yes, it's um,
1: yeah, quite a cold night tonight. So this is the p- is. perfect time to be in the house recording a podcast.
0: Definitely, yeah, it is. <laughs> you've I, I noticed you've got a jumper on. I put my jumper on just before we started recording. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very cold out there at the moment. Very cold. Stay warm, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> my first question really is, uh, I like to ask most of my, well, all of my guests, not just most of them, but all of them. Um, what was your kind of journey into Doctor Who? How did you find the programme?
1: Well, weirdly, in one way, in some way, it's, it's completely down, or my journey is completely down to, down to something completely not Doctor Who related, um, which is actually Gerry Anderson. Um, Interesting. Yeah, because I was as a kid, I was a huge. I never really got into Doctor Who. I was um, I was born in 1991, so I didn't. I was aware of it. I remember Hmm. I have this weird memory of um, remember. I think it was like one of the BBC Two repeats of Genesis of the Daleks. I only know that now, having watched Genesis of the Daleks a billion times. That Hmm. yeah, that must have been Genesis of the Daleks because I remember seeing Davros and I remember Tom Baker and the Clam. For some reason, yeah. <laughs> I get this image in my head of him and Harry being attacked by the clam. But I remember that being on telly and just not really vibing with it and not not really getting it Um, because I was quite young at the time. But I was a huge, huge Thunderbirds fan. Mm-hmm. And subsequently, I was a huge Captain Scarlet fan. And then as I got a bit older, I I got back into those things and I discovered things like UFO and Space 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this complete Jerry Anson book I mean these are like my gateway drug into sci-fi in general yeah Um, and also in a way a gateway into really enjoying how these things were made like Mm -hmm. looking up how they made and I had like the complete book of Thunderbirds and had the complete book of um, UFO and like read. these are wonderful research books all about the making of them and in them were obviously a lot of actors and writer credits and i would you know look, flick through those and i'd notice things like uh david graham was the original voice of the daleks mm. in doctor who um shane rimmer was in the gunfighters with him dennis spooner wrote lots of doctor who episodes as well as writing a couple of episodes of ufo it was you know things like that and yeah. so i was slowly but surely learned that okay there's a lot of actors were involved in this thing, whilst Jerry Anson himself wasn't, had done Doctor Who enough. So when the show came back in 2005, I was kind of like, well, give it a go because I've I've heard of Doctor Who and I know it's obviously this huge, big cultural thing. You can't, you know, even when it was off air, you couldn't really avoid it. Mm. Um, and I was just hooked from Rose onwards. Mm. I, I instantly was like, I can't wait for next week. I want to watch The End of the World. Um, and then from there I was like I want to watch The Unquiet Dead and yeah it just became an obsession like uh, almost overnight (laughs) I was uh, absolutely obsessed and again it was like going down to the library and trying to find any Doctor Who related book I could and buying Doctor Who magazine and reading about how things made and a lot in those I remember distinctly in those early type days like reading Doctor Who magazine and really not understanding who they were talking about or what they were referencing but just kind of eating it all up and wanting to find Mm. out more and then, yeah, I remember, like, I was only really into the new series, but then I thought, I'll give the classic series a go, and I had a friend at school who ha- lent me uh, Planet of the Daleks on video. And so I watched that, and that was my first classic, Doctor Who. Um, and from there, I then bought my first DVD, which was The Claws <laughs> of Axos, because that had just come out. And so, yeah, slowly it just sort of snowballed, and then mm. I just became an ultra-Uber fan. It kind of became my identity. And then through that, I discovered lots of other you know sci-fi shows and, and fantasy shows and it just became kind of a big part of my life in terms of like my my love of like pop culture and stuff. And it's the reason yeah. I went to university. It's the reason I've made so many friends. So, yeah, I've, I'm really thankful to Doctor Who in a way for so many things. Yeah. Um, yeah. It all started with Gerry Anderson of all wow. people. Um, it, yeah. I always say to people like Gerry Anderson's the gateway drug for kids into science fiction. And I
0: still, you know, still quite happily stick an episode of Thunderbirds on. But Doctor yeah. Who is now. Always, <laughs> I I used to uh, watch the Thunderbird, uh, Stingray, and Captain Scarlet repeats that I think they were doing in the early nineties yeah. on BBC Two. So that's kind of where that that was kind of my introduction into those shows. Really, I didn't really venture much further than just watching the episodes and uh I always wanted to collect the toys that they were releasing at the time yes, and my yeah. friend did but I I never did unfortunately <laughs> but yeah no I can I can understand that kind of uh, journey from from there and and getting into kind of the sci-fi uh fantasy kind yeah. of things from there but um so you I mean you would have been what 14 when the about 14 yeah. when the series yeah. came I back? was yeah I,
1: yeah I was for, I was 14 when it came back and I remember like being people were talking about at school before it even come on, you know, we'd seen mm. the trailer. Um, I actually weirdly remember, cause this was at the same time was the t- Jerry Anderson had bought out new captain Scarlet. He'd done the CGI captain Scarlet remake. And that had been like shoved onto Saturday morning TV, mm. which is famously, he, he is quoted as saying he was really crossed about and really upset about, you know, he made this new, spent all this money on this big CGI captain Scarlet show. Cause he wanted to go out at five o'clock on a Saturday night on itv and yeah. they'd shoved it on saturday morning kids tv mm. um and i remember seeing the trailer that fir- one of those first trailers for doctor who i think it was the one of rose you know when she's like oh i'm gonna give up a- i could have yeah. a life of this and that but i could fight monsters instead yeah. um and i remember seeing that and seeing it was on saturday but it didn't say what time i remember going well if i'm gonna have to choose between them i'll probably choose to watch captain scarlet <laughs> but um, <laughs> so i was really happy when i found out that no it was going to be on at like seven o'clock in the evening so I wouldn't have to choose between them um so I think to a degree there was a little some little bit of uh loyalty to Doctor Who already creeping in before I even <laughs> watched the <laughs> but yeah like I I fell in love almost instantly and yeah it's and I just loved the whole journey you know it took me many years to eventually watch or listen to all the all the cl- you know classic mm. episodes and stuff but I'm
0: but- you know it's one of the best things I've ever had in my life really um, yeah it's a big part of my life it's quite it's it's interesting listening to you talk about how you got into it because uh for myself which I've spoken about millions of times before to many people but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go over it again but it came from that. I am going to go over it again. I came from <laughs> I came from that age uh, during the wilderness years and I collected the videos and saw the repeats and everything. And you kind of you build up your knowledge of Doctor Who through collecting all those pieces together. So it's 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 really interesting to find uh, that a lot of the people who came to it through New Who did it a little bit similar. But they they went back and picked up the past and and learnt about mm. the show from collecting the things that were already there yeah. existing. So it's kind of the same thing, really. Totally. And I think a Doctor Who magazine was probably a big, important part of that,
1: because it was through... Because I would buy, buy Doctor Who magazine because I, I remember the Doctor... I even remember the Doctor Who magazine I first bought. I was going on a school trip, and I bought the one. I think it had, like, the making... It had the Dalek, the new Dalek on the front. Mm. And it, it was inside. It was going to be a whole article about... um how they made you know with nicholas briggs about how they'd made the new dalek and stuff like that yeah. so i bought that but obviously in that it's not all new who so i was remember i was sitting there but trying to read a review of um i can't remember what it was some big finish audios and stuff and kind of not getting it and knowing what what i was reading in a way but like being really but it wasn't like putting me off it was just making me go i think maybe i need to watch this you know so like (laughs) maybe i need to watch the claws of axos or revelation of the daleks or whatever it was that was coming out on dvd at that time so yeah and it it was yeah just that sort of right time as well you know i just got a dvd player and um and i remember you know my friend i had a friend at school who was like me initially was like obsessed with doctor who and wanted to watch old ones as well and then he Mm. within a year he You know, veered off and had decided. Actually, do you know what? I'll watch it casually, but I'm not as big a nerd as you. Um, but like he, we we'd go. I'd go around his like on a you know for a sleepover on Friday, and then on Saturday we were watching. I remember watching Survival. Um, on UK Gold, like the UK Gold repeat of survival, but only catching the last like 20 minutes of it, things like that so, you know, uh, so many things just stemmed from like Doctor Who magazine and just sort of discovering it and it, yeah, it is, it's so exciting it's one of those things actually I wish I could go back again, you see new fans coming to it now, discovering it either through Twitch or discovering mm. it through I don't know, Disney Plus or whatever Mm -hmm. it is going to be next. And I'm just sort of a little bit envious of them because it's like, oh, you've got so much to discover. Like, if I'd been a kid and then iPlayer had been around and they dumped almost every episode on iPlayer I would have just been (laughs) oh my god like dream come true you're so lucky I think you know also I'm kind of like oh good for you guys like you're you're gonna have so much fun (laughs)
0: yeah going back and rediscovering it all goodbye say goodbye to your social life you're just gonna be watching Doctor Who but (laughs) oh I know I know I know I I remember actually back when I was probably about oh god when I was 12 or 13 so talking in the early nineties, um, I, I remember my dad saying to me once because um, we we had all the video, well not all the videos at the time, but we had them lined up on the shelf. And I remember my dad saying to me one day the B and he'd read this in the paper. He said one day the BBC is going to put everything that they have online. And I was like, Nah, they're not going to do that. How that, that don't make any sense. And and of course, many many years later, we have the iPlayer, and it's like, Yeah, that's insane. You know that he that he'd read about that and the, the the plans to do something like that many many years before it actually happened mm. it's nice to have it all the tips of your fingers i think yeah. i can watch um, time lash whenever i want yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's great it's got i
1: joke but it's genuinely great like i could just I, I i take my laptop to work and sometimes i work late or because i've got something on afterwards in town so it's no point me coming home so i've just got an hour to kill so i could just stick on whatever i want it's there if i want it it's so amazing yeah it's like carrying it all in your in your backpack yeah i mean we'll talk about it more later on like but you know i love dvds and blu-rays but um yeah there is something quite nice about having it on the iplayer and
0: stuff. i really yeah. hope it stays there and uh, oh it, yeah, it's so lovely and archived really well i think it will i i've got a feeling yeah. it's, it's it's not going anywhere not if uh, not if russell is uh is no. still involved in the show um so fingers crossed okay so we are gonna start we've got a quite a a few topics to get through Um, and uh, there's some really interesting topics here as well. And uh, your first one has allowed me to go back and rewatch one of my all time favorite David Tennant stories. So I was, I'd been looking for an excuse to watch this rewatch it for a long time. Um, So when you said you wanted to kind of talk about this, I was like, yes, fantastic. The first story that you've chosen, or I mean, is this a favorite story or is it a, one of your favorites or
1: definitely one of my favorites mm-hmm. it was, it's one of those that's uh, my my top 10 changes all the time but there's usually mm-hmm. a lot of like regular contenders that will be in it mm. uh and this is one of them but i just i can never drop this one there's like there's about five or six that just will never drop out of the top 10 unless something even better comes along but so far nothing has um but yeah this is this is definitely like i wouldn't say the number one favorite but it's definitely one where i have a lot to say about it and i i it, it's yeah very like i think it's just such a special episode it is well it's uh, it's the
0: waters of mars isn't it
1: yes it is um uh context i guess um it's the first episode of doctor who i watched since i went to university so i'd um gone to university so it's actually my first episode of doctor who away from home Aww. um but um i and obviously it was just that weird We're so used to, like, gap years now, aren't we, as Doctor Who fans, of having a year off every couple of years and not Mm -hmm. getting a full series. But I remember that first gap year, even though we had, which actually was one of the better ones to have, because you had Christmas, Next Doctor, and then you had Easter, and then we had a bit of a break. But then in, what is it, it was, like, early November, wasn't it, we had... yeah of Mars so it wasn't a, a massive massive break but it just kind of felt like it and obviously and then we also had Torch with Children of Earth and mm. um, and Sarah Jane as well and I think Dreamland as well so mm-hmm. there was like a lot packed into 2009 but it did feel like a bit of a long way at that time uh, looking back now I'll be like probably <laughs> living through going from Power of the Doctor to yeah. start. My friend,
0: we didn't know what we had back then, did we <laughs> you don't know what pain is.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was i and I remember watching it, and i I like Doctor. Who in all forms, whether it's trying to be a comedic episode. I, I love that. I I love an episode that just makes me howl with laughter, or just goes a bit weird and silly. I love it, you know, a good historical episode. I like ones that are, you know, the the pure drama episodes where it's a real like emotional um, roller coaster. Mm. But I think for me, ultimately, I think i with most Doctor fans. I do like it when it can scare me, especially as I'm
0: getting older and wiser and not as easy to scare um, because this is a, this is a, you know a terrifying story. I mean, I was in my okay. late twenties when I saw this, so. But I, I think it, I think it's probably the first time Doctor Who. No, no, probably not. The, no, Midnight's pretty terrifying, but this mm. was this was the first time I actually felt pretty scared Uh, it it, it almost feels like sometimes i mean it was broadcast a few weeks after halloween but it sometimes feels like a bit of a halloween special i I
1: remember at the time being surprised and thinking why would they not show this on halloween Mm. this would be perfect i just i get the feeling that it might just have been actually the way it ends you kind of want to don't want to leave and the next episode's not till Christmas Day, maybe you don't want to leave too long a gap because it's such a dark end and miserable ending.
0: Mm. You don't want
1: to leave people on that for too long. You want to say, don't worry, Christmas is coming. You've not got long to wait till the next part and stuff. And things will be a bit more jollier and a bit more, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe that was part of the reason. But I always thought, mm. I've always thought of it as kind of like a Halloween special mm. um, as well. And it's I, I just think it's absolutely... Brilliant. From the moment it starts to the moment it ends, it's just so it's it works on so many levels. It is a brilliant base under siege story. It's a brilliant horror story. It does that brilliant thing of just telling you enough Mm. about the threat without telling you too much, and but then not telling you really anything. Yeah. And actually, what I really liked about the recent Target novel as well is that had a little bit more, but not that much more. So it still retained that kind of threat. Um, I love that kind of body horror. Element as well, in that you know, it could almost be us. Do you know what I mean? It's not mm. a big prosthetic giant yeah. beast, um, it is a guy with horrible cracked skin and just water coming out of it. And there's something mm. about that as well, something that's kind of like that, sh- you know, sh- shouldn't be right, but is also. I don't know. It's like it's feasible as well in a weird way. I'm not saying like, you know, we're going to have like water constantly streaming from us, but it's just that thing of like, it's a kind of a natural thing to be wet, you know, for a man to, you know, be a bit wet because he's, you know, been covered in water, but to have Mm. it, but then to twist that slightly and go, what would be creepy about that? What if the water didn't stop? Great. Mm. Like, it's fantastic. And I also just, I mean, there's so many things I love about it. The music is brilliant. The visual effects are some of the best in that era of the show. I mean, it looks fantastic. It's one of the first episodes that looks fantastic um, on Blu ray. Planet of the Dead is the first HD episode, but I feel like it's not quite, I'm not an expert on, you know, picture, HD pitch picture quality and stuff like that. I just know that something looks. Yeah, really, you, you looks- can tell, can't you? I, I, the other thing I really love about it, and it's one of the reasons I kind of love, this, we're, we're, we're going to talk about my favourite Doctor later, and it's actually not David Tennant, even though he is a very high, high up on the list for me. The reason I love this story is because it kind of caps off the David Tennant's, the 10th Doctor's arc. Mm. And it's such a great arc that stretches back right from the Christmas invasion. And I love that. This whole, you know, the time a little bit victorious thing just doesn't come out of nowhere it's all been built into this and it's so fun re-watching this era going back and watching everything from I guess you could start with the Chris Eccleston series it's not there as much but you kind of need that for the ground base but this idea that you know and so many people I know were fans of David Tennant Stockton like they liked him because he was funny and because he was a bit wacky and stuff like that but you re his episodes especially like in a binge he's such an arrogant character yeah and there's so many moments throughout his era and it's there from the Christmas invasion when he takes it upon himself to throw the Satsuma at, um, and you know essentially kill the Sycorax and yeah mm. he was right in doing it yeah but it's the way he kind of go you know he has that line about I'm you know I'm that sort of a man mm. and you're like there's something darker to this guy and something a bit entitled about this mm. character and then you have all this through series two you have him and Rose thinking they're indestructible you have them thinking nothing can touch us we're brilliant and we're you know, no, we're we're invincible, and then of course that goes to hell. And then you have the way he treats Martha throughout series three. Yeah, he is really out of order to her throughout mm. that era, uh, throughout that series. And, and as then a then result,
0: she... nearly destroys her family yes, through exactly. it. Exactly, and her exactly.
1: exactly. And then you you know this carries on through series four. It lessens a bit because you feel like he's grounded himself a bit because he's now got Donna, and mm. she does ground him and make him a better person. You know, fires of Pompeii. I think plays a big part in that. And then you take all that away uh, in journey's end and you take away all these friends and stuff and you make him lonely again. And in a way he's there to kind of stew in his own juices a bit. And, Mm. um, and it's, uh, there's, I'm sure there's so much more I'm forgetting just little moments here and there, but there's just so much that's building up to so that when that time Lord victorious moment comes, it's, it's, it makes sense. It's like, it's so, it's one of the best character arcs in doctor who of all time, I think. And it's so subtle throughout. And what I also, I just love David Tennant in that scene because I love the way the music is sort of telling you this is big heroic moment, but then the music's slightly off. Mm. There's something off about the the Doctor Forever, you know, or no, it's um all the strange, strange creatures sort of playing, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The music's slightly off in a way. And it's just something about the way David Tennant turns and grins and it's his normal grin. And I don't know what David Tennant is doing there, but there's just (laughs) something you just feel unsettled. Again, it's what we were saying earlier. Like, you just feel unsettled by it. Yeah. There's something off. It's not quite, there's something in the eyes, there's something in the smile. There's something off about him. I I remember like chatting about the episode immediately after with a friend. It's my friend was like, it's like he turned into the master. Mm. And it kind of is it kind of, in a yeah. way yeah it's he it kind of does stop he's he's almost given into the dark side and then of course that moment the yeah, end absolutely floored me when i saw it when when adelaide goes into the house and, and takes her own life to set things right and it is you know i've seen some criticisms of it and i think they're perf- you know some people are valid in their criticism that yeah maybe suicide in a tv show blah 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 but i think it's it's really tastefully done. Yes, I think so. And as I well. think it works in the spirit of the story and stuff. And I get I think at that point you're allowed to not like the doctor. Yeah, yeah. And I like stories like that where you're kind of made to question the doctor and go, you know what, he is a fallible mm. character. Where, you know, and there's so many instances, you don't get many instances of that, but when they do, they really hit really hard. And I think this yeah. is one of the best moments. So I kind of love it from that. For me, it's like very much an episode about the 10th doctor, but it also just works as a really good standalone horror story and
0: i just think one of those stories where just every element works i wouldn't change a thing about it no it's such and it's such that ending as well is such a slap in his face as well like you say we we get the time lord victorious stuff and then when he realizes what she's done after she's Mm. taken her own life it's such a slap in his face yeah that i kind of wish it had Kind of reverberated a little bit into the end of time because yeah. it it felt it felt like uh, um I mean I don't know how how much you were a part of Doctor Who online fandom at the time but um on the forums it was kind of like oh you know are we going to see a darker Doctor mm-hmm. in the end of time and it almost felt like a little bit of a reset um the that I, first part I remember watching
1: End Time and I was really expecting them to kind of. And the trailer kind of suggested that that actually everything that happens in his regeneration story was going to be the result of his decision in the Waters of Mars. And I do wish it had kind of played into that a bit more. Mm. That again, because it would have, this is why I like like, say the Waters of Mars kind of caps that arc off because End of Time doesn't, it feels almost like an epilogue to it in a way. But it's it's but it's a shame really. I and I actually really like the end of time. I think mm. it's a little overlong, but there's so again, it's one of those episodes, there's so much I love about it. I can I I'm quite happy to leave it as it is. Um yeah. but I but I do agree with you that I do wish there'd been a little bit more consequence. But I guess it's that thing of when the doctor shows up at the beginning of end of time part one on the ood sphere. Again, yeah, I think you can I like to think you can see it a little bit in David Tennant's performance and that it was intended. But I always get the vibe of he's kind of in denial and trying to like play happy, but he's really not because mm. it, it's all for show. You he's know tra- I mean? Yeah, he's trying to mask. He's masking exactly. And actually, you think because then when he has when you know he has that lovely scene in the cafe with Wilf in the in that first part, it kind of all comes out a bit more. And they mm. do dwell on the, you know he says I you know I I. I got, you know, powerful or whatever. I went, you know, I can't remember what the, the line is actually. It's really annoying, but he does have a yeah. line in there where he's like, you know, I got clever. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, And I felt like that is okay. That's fine. You're addressing it. And it's yeah. enough that it, it doesn't feel like you've just completely forgotten about what's happened. But yeah, as it stands, like Wars of Mars is, I mean, it's one of my, fa- it's probably my favorite tenant episode. And I definitely think it's in my top, I'd say top five, actually. I think it's definitely top five um, new who, and I would probably put it in top five all time. I think yeah. it's great. I, it's a shame it doesn't do, you know, it, it has, it was really well received and it seems to still do well in like
0: the polls and stuff, but it's never it quite cracked. It doesn't that get top mentioned point. a lot, does it? It's, no, it's which I'm... is really strange. I, I don't know if it's because there's a, a lack of regular companion maybe in it. I, uh, it doesn't, because yeah. it's not, it's not tethered to a series. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I do
1: wonder if it's that it's what you mentioned. I wonder if it, if it had been dealt with a bit more in the end of time mm. and informed that a bit more, it might be remembered more. But I guess in a way, some people probably just view it as a bit of a standalone, yeah, dark story. I mean, I see a lot of love. For, I do. I see a lot of love for it. It just seems to be when it's like the official best story lists or whatever it is that Doctor magazine are doing or Radio Times are doing. It, it doesn't seem to figure, and it's a shame because I mm. think. I wouldn't say it's underrated. I think it's it's rated well enough, um, but I, it, it, you know, it. Um, it's just me on a personal level. I'm like, this should do so much better. This is mm. just brilliant, and it's just so. Again, it's I love stuff that doesn't talk down to younger audiences, and Doctor Who's very good at not talking down to younger audiences. But this especially does not talk down to them. No. Um. And again, that's kind of why I love it. Um. I just think it's
0: great, and yeah, I. I'm. I want to watch it again now. Just it. <laughs> I, it, it, it's it's one of those stories that I haven't watched a lot, uh, but every time I do watch it, I mean, when I I, I did a marathon uh, about oh, five years ago, maybe, and it, it um, I, I gave it a nine out of ten. So I was very, you know, I, I really enjoyed it at the time, and every time I've rewatched it, I've really enjoyed it. I think it does something that. Russell does so well which is bringing in some very human characters. Mm-hmm. They are I think again that's that's one of the things I enjoy about it. The characters in the story are very the close to people we know. It's not too far in the future, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like it's it makes it more believable because they're people that we we could possibly know. You know, it's yeah. not like out on a planet in the middle of well, it's on Mars, but it's not like it's it's thousands of years in the future on the planet Zog with yeah. space named people. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's very it's very believable, and you really feel for these people by the time you realise that they're probably, you know, they're not going to get out of this. You're yeah. like, the, the, there's a point when I was watching it the other night, and uh, I, I think it was when Is it it's Steffi? The, Steffi? Yeah, it's Steffi. Me too, yeah. With the, with okay. the water coming oh, down. She's and watching the video.
1: Oh, my word. And you don't even know much about this character. In no. fact, up to that point, all she's kind of been has been the stern sort of second in command or whatever and she's mm. barely had any lines and in just a one single moment Russell C Davies and Phil Ford mm. make you really care and the same with the Roman character he's been a bit of a jerk up to that point mm. um you know rolling his eyes and stuff like that but again when he goes yeah you feel just lost you know someone really close to you and I love yeah. all this kind of again it's good drama and that so much is unsaid like I still to this day do not know what Ed Gold is kind of talking about when he dies and um, no. he sort of gave me a chance. I think there's a hint of, Oh, I fancied you Adelaide, but you never gave me a chance, but it's never, he never quite gets it all out and stuff. Mm. Um, there's so, you know, there's so much like unsaid stuff there. And that's the kind of the beauty of it is that you care about these characters and you want to know more about them. And they just stop shy of telling you more. And again, it's, it's, it's it's like when, you know, someone you know dies and you just want to spend more time with them and you want to, you know, you want to get to know, hear more about them and know more about them. I think it's just brilliant writing. And I, I agree with you. It's I, I, it's one of the reasons I love Russell T. Davies' writing during that era is I like the idea of what he said, you know, that we're not going to go to Planet Zog mm that it should be human humanity should be always at the forefront because that's what people are going to connect to. Yeah. And I think to an extent he's been proven wrong in some place, some areas, but mm. not that often. I think, again, it's the reason why I like things like the Satan pit, you know, that's, yes. another, this is kind of a nice sort of successor to the Satan pit in that sense. Again, in that story, you, you feel all those people on there, even though they're from, you know, thousands of years in the future, you, you care about them and you, you get them, you understand them. Yeah. They're very,
0: they're very human
1: characters. They could be working on an oil rig mm. right now, somewhere in the Atlantic or something.
0: Like, yeah, they just feel, yeah, totally real. You say you watched, uh, you watched, you read the book as well because I yeah. haven't read the book and I for- actually forgot it had been published. So uh, I may have to dig that out or dig yeah. it out, find it and buy it.
1: <laughs> it's one of those Target novels, and I've not read loads of Target novels. Mm. But I know there's always a, the key difference with all of them is that sometimes there's somewhere the author kind of in. in you know, adds more to it. And then there's um, somewhere they don't really. And this one kind of sits in the middle a little bit um, in that it, it is very much what you saw on television. Hmm. There's some nice little character insights, but nothing that would make you, that would completely change your view of what happens in the episode. The only thing that's really changed in it, and spoiler alert for anyone who, you know, I'll try not to spoil it too much or anything, but if anyone wants to read the book, I'd say maybe ignore this bit. Um, <laughs> but there's a it extends the, the whole bit where the flashback where uh, young Adelaide sees the Dalek during the Dalek occupation that's Mm. extended out into a larger sequence um, and I don't think it really adds much to it but it's I mean it's it's beautifully written and so if you really like the episode or even if you didn't really like the episode maybe perhaps you might get on better with the book but Mm. um there's it's it's very well written and again Phil Ford can write horror really well um and there's moments in the book that chilled me just as much Reading it mm. as I did watching it. Uh, actually, one of the things he does do in that book that I really like is that he gives a bit more backstory to Andy, the first guy to go. The ah, gardener. I see. And uh, and again, it's small, but it's enough to make you go, oh,
0: yeah. I'm surprised that Phil Phil Ford hasn't. I mean, he did. He wrote co-wrote Into the Dalek, didn't he? Yes. Um And he, I think he did a Torchwood episode, and he did he a did. lot of Sarah Jane and Dreamland. did. He, he's not really done much Doctor Who. You know, he's no. done he's done around Doctor Who but not really yes. a lot of... Uh, he was one of the main
1: writers on the Tales from the TARDIS mm. stuff, which has made me wonder, maybe he's back for Series 14 or Series 1 or what? Mm. Shooty Series 1. I don't know, <laughs> whatever we're calling it. Um, I'd love him to come back. It'd be great to see him do an episode where he's not, because both times he's written for Doctor Who. He's been a co-writer. Yeah, he has. he's yeah. co-runners. He's, he's been with working with the showrunner at that time. And I, I mean, his work on, you know, again, the Jerry Anson connection, he wrote a lot of New Captain Scarlet. Um, and some of those are really dark, clever stories. Mm. So he's definitely got it in him to write some great stuff. So it'd be really inter- uh, interesting to see what he'd do if he came back to Doctor Who and just did an episode of his own, but yeah, I mean, some of his Sarah Jane episodes are some of the best. I mean, they're fantastic yeah. episodes, but yeah. yeah, I I love it. Um, I'm I'm also a sucker for Graham Harper direction oh, as well. It's yeah. the dream
0: team. Dream yeah. team. Yeah, mind. he's he's uh is fantastic director Graham. Um, I mean, it's you know it's full of, you kind of your high energy and it's mm. b- very frenetic and uh yeah he's uh, it'd be love to, lovely to see graham back as well but uh graham harper but I, I i think he's i don't i don't know if he's retired now i think he does still direct but i think mm. it's just soap opera i think it's just
1: the, he ah. won't do I, I imagine he's probably just doing soap operas i'm sure i've seen something recently that you know he was directed something he'd directed mm. but I, I get the feeling that he's probably off of like the big high octane shows um, yeah i might be wrong who knows like maybe we, <laughs> we might see the director's list for series uh Series fifteen appear and he's back and I'd be really happy. But no, I lo- yeah, yeah, love Graham Harper as I'm sure we'll probably discuss a bit more in this in this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> yes, um, I
0: think we, so many we, to we talk about. It. Yeah, so I mean it, and it was I mean it was watched. I'm just scanning through my notes that I made earlier on, but it was it was 10.32 million viewers, which yeah. is massive compared to now. But obviously the the TV landscape has changed, yeah. and I'm not going to go into detail about ratings and stuff because that's a that's a it's a pretty pointless discussion it totally sometimes is. <laughs> it is totally at the, at the time that
1: is great yeah and but you you well, you wouldn't get those numbers now, and that's no. totally understandable. But this doesn't not to say that just because people aren't watching it on the telly, people aren't watching it elsewhere. No. So
0: I uh, mentioned in one of my previous podcasts that uh, Stephen Moffat had once said is a book classed as being popular if it's only bought on once. its first day of of release, yeah. and that is completely I, ever since. I read that quote from him and I was like, yeah, yeah, actually, actually you're right. You know, there's, there's, there's people who will go and watch stories further down the line for the first time. You know, it doesn't yeah. mean that it's, that it's not popular just because it's not being watched at that moment.
1: It's the same with box office to an extent. I, I write yeah. a bit about film for a few websites and uh, I'm again, I'm not a box office expert, but usually when I see things about, Oh, this film made so much money, therefore it must be really good. I'm like, not really. Like it's it's mm. it's just that a lot of people saw the trailer or their mates saw it and said it was good and they've gone to see it. But I can't, you can't if you did a survey of everyone that went to see, I don't know, the latest Avengers or the latest Avatar or anything like that, and you asked them all on the way out, did you like that yes or no? I imagine it'd be more of a 50-50 split. Mm. Be a lot of people that wouldn't like it, you know. I it's um the money doesn't all it tells you is that people bought a ticket. It doesn't mean that people liked it or people enjoyed it. So again, exactly. rating is kind of the same, like 10 million watched it. I imagine 2 million of those might have gone, oh, I didn't like that one. Yeah. Um, Maybe, maybe end of time will be better, you know. Yeah. Um, who knows like it's yeah it's a funny one but yeah like it, at the time yeah great it's like, a great I mean, figure isn't anything it at that, the time I mean anything that keeps the show going I'm happy mm. with so whether it's yeah. 10 million or what was it 7 million for Starbeast as the other day it's given away why we're when we're recording but yeah like yeah as long as it keeps
0: the show in good in good health I'm happy okay so was there anything else you wanted to discuss about the waters of Mars or I think I I it. <laughs> 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 the water has uh, been shut off <laughs> Okay, so your second topic that you want to discuss is a a favourite or a recommended audio story, isn't yeah,
1: it? It is, um, yes. I feel like your listeners, well, one, I was surprised that no one had come on your show to talk about this yet, because to me it is the audio, um, but I also imagine a lot of your listeners go, oh, that one, yeah, everyone talks about that one, <laughs> which is The Chimes of Midnight by Rob Shearman. Which um, is a fantastic story. <laughs> Brilliant, and also we're recording this around December, so we've yeah. both had reason to recently listen to it anyway. And, and um, Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without plum my pudding. Plum pudding. <laughs> Indeed, I just again, it's brilliant. I so I'm. Let me just explain something. I'm really weird um, <laughs> that I haven't in my head for me. Um, there is an Eighth Doctor era.
0: Yes, um, no, I but, agree.
1: But I go, and again, I might get shot for this. I go from I think. I basically go by the Knight of the Doctor rules, which is he names five companions, which are Charlie, Carys, uh, Tamsin, Molly. Molly and Lucy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, OK, until Livchenka and Audacity and <laughs> Mary Shelley are all named on screen in some kind of mini episode or Paul McGann's eight part mini series, fingers crossed, who knows? <laughs> please, um, please, please, please. <laughs> yeah. Please, please, please. Um, I I kind of have to go back to, to me, um, everything from Storm Warning through to um, The Girl Who Never Was, those 28 monthly audios mm. are kind of like his first two or three seasons. And then you have, his four seasons of loop Lu- with Lucy and then dark eyes one. Mm. And then actually I think try it. I'm just going to say to people, try it because if you listen to dark eyes one and then watch night of the doctor, it does kind of work in a mm. sense, Like you don't, you've had a little hint of a time war come in, in dark eyes one. And so you could kind of like, that could be your eighth doctor era. If you want to, you know, watch all of the seventh doctor era then watch the TV movie and then listen to all these audios. Yeah, but, but so that to me that like that's to me, in my head that those are the official ones that are canon. Anything else is debatable and totally. If you think that um, the Silver Turk or um, ravenous or any of that is is canon that's like great like that's, yes. that's what canon enjoy um this is just my, my personal preference mm-hmm. um this is what I think of as as canon um and so but out I, I just looked through all those I've listened to a lot of big finish you know went from the monthly stories and the fourth doctor audios and the tenth doctor ones the war doctor but like to me it's the eighth doctor ones that are really something special because they just feel yeah. like new. even now they feel like new doctor Who. still
0: feels like a current doctor sometimes Totally. Me.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's just so much that's been done with him and still so much that you can do with him. I do have a soft spot for these sort of the early years when Paul McGann, you know, was quite fresh from doing the TV movie. You know, it'd been only been five four or five years or so. And I do love the I, I love the Lucy Miller ones. And I nearly chose a couple of those actually. Um, but I just thought Chimes of Midnight, kind of can't ignore it. It is it is the big finish Doctor Who audio, I think. I mean, yeah. it, it always tops the the fan listings and no matter who's running the poll whether it's big finish themselves or um Doctor Who magazine or even just you know some of the you know smaller Doctor Who sites it's always regularly on there and I I re-listened to it I've re- I've listened to it a few times I'm not like it's not when I it's not like Wars of Mars where I've watched it like a billion times I I've listened to Chimes of Midnight maybe about three or four times because mm. I I was also a weird in that a few years ago I was like, well, I don't really want to listen to downloads and stuff. I want to own, if I'm going to pay money for it, I want to own the CD. So I was like going for eBay, trying to find it for a decent price. And yeah, eventually luckily managed to get a copy. Um, and so yes, it took me a while before I finally got to listen to it. But I listened to it as it should be listened to in the context of that series. Cause it is anyone that's listened to it will know that it's, it's part of the Charlie arc that yeah. was going on at that time. And it, surprisingly and they talked about this it was a wonderful thing recently that they big finish have made available the interview they did with all the authors yes they have, haven't they yeah and it's a fascinating chat because it is all seven of those writers for that second run mm. in a room together with gary russell laughing and chatting about it. So it's like a full round table yeah. discussion. I thought it'd be like what they do on the audios now, which is we've just recorded a load of separate interviews. Let's stitch them together into a documentary. Yeah. But it's really fascinating. Listen to all talk. And so you hear Mark Gatiss and Rob Shearman and Paul Cornell and Nicholas Briggs before the series comes back proper talking about, you know, what they were doing for what was essentially at the time, new Doctor Who. Mm. And they talk and Rob Shearman, they talk about it. like this was meant to be, Chams Midnight was meant to be the first one out of that series um, and then they were they moved it to second because they were surprised how much of the Charlie Arc plot was put into it and how so much of it revolves around Charlie's character. Mm. But that's also why I love it because it does even if you've not listened to all of that, it just works as a, again as a really good. Standalone. The story. arc never, yeah. overpowers the story, does no, it? You could come to it completely fresh, mm. and it's just—I love Rob. Rob, she- Rob Shearman is the best big finish author to this day. I oh, think absolutely. there's a few other. I think there's a couple of others that are climbing up the ladder towards him, mm. um, but they've—the ones I'm thinking of have have written so many to get to that point when he's, you know, managed six total. I yeah, he's just
0: come and, in there and just unbound. fired off a few classics, and then. Exactly, Said goodbye hasn't he yeah so. that's it yeah, yeah
1: fair play to him but all of them are brilliant um but this i think this is a standout one because it's just kind of him he's allowed to experiment with a new doctor for the first time because before this he'd had holy terror but he was kind of constrained i suppose he wasn't really with holy terror because it wasn't really any kind of continuity because he was using the comic book continuity he was using mm-hmm. six doctor and frobisher yeah um, but this one he's allowed to kind of really let loose and actually have some big emotional impact in this story mm. um he's allowed to do which is again we've already said with when we we're chatting about wars Smiles, we like doctor who when it's eerie and scary and out there and chimes of midnight is really disturbing mm. um and it's one of those stories that you could only do on audio i think because just because of the nature of the murders in it and they're quite great it's quite graphic in the way yeah. of the things it describes i i remember reading a uh, a rumour or an interview years ago and I think it has been backed up a little since that Stephen Moffat did ask Rob Shiman to consider adapting it for a series of Matt Smith or Peter Capaldi oh really um, yeah and I think ultimately it just didn't happen and there could be many reasons for that but I wouldn't be surprised if one of the reasons was you'd have to change so much of it to make it suitable yeah and I I I don't really like Doctor Who when it goes too dark and nasty and adult. Mm. You know, like there's a lot of the spin-off novels and audios
0: do go too far. I think and yeah, I think it, so. Yeah, you lose something. And this uh, one, I think, treads a fine line. It does, and I think I think the Chimes of Midnight. I I did I, when I was listening to it the other the other day. I. I thought momentarily about whether or not it would have been suitable to be adapted for for tv and and actually no i don't think it would because it's maybe maybe back in the classic series days because it's a it one of the things i like about it is how it slowly unfolds Mm. so you know they arrive and they're in the dark they don't know where they are and it slowly the story unravels before them and i think if it had been adapted for a 45 minute episode i don't think it would have come across in the same way i think it would have been too fast it would have been too 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 trying to how 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 can i word it correctly
1: you'd think you'd i don't know do you think like you'd lose would it just kind of cut a, too much out of it a or... lot of
0: yeah i think a lot of a lot of its appeal is that kind of the slow, slow investigation of what's happened here um and the build-up and also it's a lot of it is dark they're in the dark for for quite a lot of that first episode where they're trying to they're trying to explore the place so i think it works it works on audio it's uh it's it's the it's the right format for the story i think
1: yeah, I think, and it, it's like you say, it suit, it's one of those stories that perfectly suits the old-style four-part mm. adventure. Again, I think if Big Finish made it now, it mm. wouldn't work, because obviously no. Big Finish now for Eighth Doctor, do they do two-part stories now and then, but they're you know, an hour long, Yeah, and it, it perfect. the running time is perfect, and a lot of those early Big Finish audios maybe go on a bit too long as well in places. Yeah, when
0: they I don't think so.
1: Two. I think that's one of the things that Nicholas Briggs one of the best things Nicholas Briggs did when he became executive producer of big finish was that he was the one that went, we need to stick to like no more than half an hour Mm. for a four part, story episode, or a, you know, an hour for a one part story episode, you know? Mm. Um, and yeah, like I think Chimes of Midnight is just the right length and, but yeah, you need that. It's that slow build and, um, I that really like make gives it its its power in a way it's mm. so eerie and it just the soundscape on it it's beautifully designed yeah. um the soundscape on it um and the music is just that wonderful again it's nothing kind of sinister about it it become as it goes on the music the music sort of changes and becomes a bit more sinister yeah it's just always something in the background that just is a little bit off mm. um but it's just I I again I love it and I I like to put it on it's I like to put it on when it's dark yeah and i'm you know walking along on my own or what have you um yeah yeah,
0: i i love it yeah i i i I listened to it yesterday and i would listen to it on my way to work at uh seven o'clock in the morning so it was still dark and i listened to it on my way home from work and it was dark and it's and then i finished listening to it in the house in the dark so you know it, it does it does suit that kind of that 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 kind of you know the darkness really um but i yeah i remember when it came out at the time because um i mean doctor who uh i listened i was collecting the big Finish stuff when more or less from when they first started coming out and at the time this was it felt like this was new doctor who for for us and it really felt like this was do it was doing something different this whole kind of eighth dr charlie arc you know we'd never really seen this in in doctor who before so we hadn't really yeah we had the seventh doctor arc in 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 um in the tv series but this felt like it was firstly it felt like something new but secondly we were getting this ongoing arc and i I remember the weight between um neverland and zagreus was just it was massive and i mean for me i will i will always you know consider this and i think a lot of people do the, the kind of the golden age of big finish for me you know i mean people have come into it at other you know at other stages of of uh big finishes run but for me this was the this was the golden era when they hit mm. storm warning and onwards and uh yeah it's uh it's it's a fantastic period of doctor who i think and uh in some ways um i was kind of i know i would never say that i was sad that doctor who came back to tv because you know that that's just a ridiculous thing to say but for me the big finish audios were new doctor who for me each month and i almost i was happy at the time that you know i i as far as i was concerned doctor who was gone from tv and it was just a it was an audio book and comic series and it was never going to come back to tv so it this for me was real, real Doctor Who at yes, the time. Yeah you know so um so no it's a, it, the, the the era holds a lot of fond memories for me when i when i think back to it i remember where i as much as you remember where you were when you listen when you watched the doctor who story for the first time yeah. i remember where i were where, where i was when i listened to the chimes of midnight when i listened to creatures of beauty when i listened to the fearmonger i can remember exactly what i was doing and yeah it's such a lovely time for me when i think back to these stories mm. It's
1: I. I mean I. Again I missed out on all that, but I, I was I remember like the first time I listened to Chimes of Midnight*. It was I. I feel like I did it in the right way because I listened to the five stories before, mm-hmm. and then after chimes kept going, You know I kept going, and I didn't have to wait eighteen months between <laughs> Neverland and Sagreras. Thankfully, um, was well, a long, long wait. <laughs> I I could, but I knew about the long wait, and I just thought, oh, I couldn't imagine having to wait because that's. What a great cliffhanger, but yeah, I think Chimes is just a really good story. That is the best Doctor Who spin off stories are the ones that kind of fit that medium that they're written for. And I think Chimes, as we were saying, it just wouldn't work as a book, it wouldn't work as a comic, no, it wouldn't work as a TV episode. It works 100% because it's an audio story with really good, like small cast really good direction really good sound design and music mm. and it doesn't need it doesn't need visuals to to pep it up in any way yeah. um it perfectly works um and so yeah i i always say to people like that is definitely like again like if people say to me like i want to get into big finish i'm like well look it's not the best place to start but if you just want a good doctor who story and you might have a couple of questions at the end mm. chimes of midnight go for it, and it's it's always like I I I wish I could come up with the stuff that Rob Shearman does. Mm. Um I I've I've read, you know, from listening to his I you know, I love Dalek. I love I love his one TV episode, but mm-hmm. his bi- finish output I think is even better. And from that I've, you know, gone and read some of his short stories and his, you know, non Doctor Who work, um, some of his plays and stuff. And I mean, they're equally as batshit insane and yeah. crazy and disturbing and even more so even more so than i mean i think jubilee really put in doc you know his doctor who story jubilee really pushes the boundaries in places <laughs> but it's brilliant and then i read his plays and i uh i was like oh yeah jubilee's <laughs> tame <Wow."> <laughs> <laughs> who knew um <laughs> uh yeah I, I i i mean i i can't say i've listened to it enough times to dissect it. Mm word for word like i would some tv episodes of doctor who but i just the terms of going i've i've listened to this i love it Mm. i can't wait already talking to you i listened to it a couple of weeks ago i already can't wait to listen to it again and i I probably will it will be my christmas eve listen yeah Um, and i love it i love you know and i just love that all you know it's like it's like a ghost story for christmas
0: yes it is um, yeah with a
1: bit of sapphire and steel uh, and a bit of upstairs, downstairs. That's what I once someone described it as. Mm. Downstairs meets Doctor Who. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I I love that kind of that mesh of of genres and whatnot. And yeah, again, another another scary Doctor Who from us, like that we
0: like. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're my favourite big finish, uh, big finish styles actually anything anything scary i um yeah i get i i kind of dipped out a big finish a a while ago and i occasionally jump back in um and another another great one that i listened to recently was uh well actually recently it was about three years ago now uh was the gray man of the mountain um with mccoy and uh, sophie aldred and um john Culshaw as the brigadier Mm -hmm. and it's really atmospheric um i can't tell you too much about it because my memory is terrible, as I say constantly on these things, but um, it was all to do with uh, you know some creature in in the in the kind of the mountains up in the north, and it's just really atmospheric. So if you kind of want a really kind of wintry, atmospheric story, I would recommend for you to to listen to the Grey Man of the Mountain. So it oh. was it was one of the first big finishes that I'd listened to because I, I still listen to the Eighth Doctor stuff, mm-hmm. um, but it was one of the first ones I'd listened to outside of kind of the year eighth doctor stuff yeah. for a long long time and uh, I've really enjoyed it and anything love- like that I can really get get into I think me and you are the same I, I like the scarier ones because
1: again it's that thing of taking the visuals out there's just something about having a, a ghost story told you and it's what you don't see that's scary. It's mm. the reason things like Midnight on TV is scary. Mm. Um, and I like those ones. So things like Night Forts or The Red Lady, mm. um, Static as well. I, I, was oh, I haven't heard big, Static. Static's very good. Um, I, I those, those are ones that I really love um, from Big Finish. Um, I just love the scary ones. I'm just a quite a macabre guy, I guess. Like <laughs> I like the scary ones and I like the, the you know, the dark ones and the ones that are a little bit disturbing and out there and yeah. weird. But um I think like I said, everyone in who watches Doctor Who has their, their own little favorite subgenre hmm.
0: in Doctor Who, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so your third uh, subject, which you wish to talk about tonight, is, uh, well, we're heading into the book range, aren't we? I read a lot of Doctor Who books,
1: but I don't... I I usually read a lot of non-fiction Doctor Who books. Mm. Um, I think I find that kind of stuff easier to read, I think. Which which is weird, because I read a lot of fiction. I love fiction, but when it comes to Doctor Who, I, I find it harder to get invested in it. In mm. A way, yeah. Um, so like I'll quite happily read. There's so many great Doctor Who non fiction books that I'll read. I love, um, I really love like The Long Game, for example, that came out last year, all about how the show came back during the wilderness years, mm. um by Paul Hayes. That's a fantastic book. And so, that's kind of if you want an idea of what I kind of read normally, Doctor Who wise, that's kind of the vibe, yeah, I go for. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking of like stories that I really like, and there's quite a lot. I was looking through my bookshelves and just going, there's quite a lot here that I like. And um, and the one that sticks in my mind, and again, it's kind of a bit of a cheat really, because it's been on TV, but I really love human nature. Mm. And again, I've kind of chosen, if Chimes of Midnight is the best Doctor Who audio, I think human nature probably is, I mean, it was at one point, I think voted the best of the Virgin, yeah. missing a, a new adventures novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for good reason, it's one that again, it's one of those things you go, I could totally read in it. You're like, I totally see why they put this on television. It's just mad not to. Um, But what I, it was, it's a, for anyone that's not read the book but has watched the TV show, I'm not that familiar with the Virgin novels. I've read the odd one here and there. For you, it's probably different because you were of an age when those were first coming out. They were easy to get hold of and,
0: (laughs) I mean, them a lot. So they would, they would. I was. They started coming out. It was about ninety one. So I was nine at the time. So I remember buying Revelation and taking it into school, primary school, to uh, to read <laughs> in front of the class, um, which I don't know if uh, if that was a good idea or not. So I, I didn't. I didn't kind of. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really get what they were about. As I got a bit older, I would see them in. Uh, in W. H. Smith's or, or whatever bookshop we had around at the time, I'd I'd buy the occasional one, but I wasn't really that drawn to them at the time because I wasn't a big reader as a kid. Mm. Um, I am now; I'm more of a reader now. But what when I really got into the Virgin New Adventures was it would have been about. Probably about twenty years ago, I was um in uh well actually talking to human nature, human nature was actually one of the only ones I bought when it on, on its original release back in oh, the nineties. Okay. Yeah. Um but um I went into a secondhand bookshop and they had probably about how many were the new adventures? Was
1: it 60? Oh God, it's like 60, 60 something? I don't know. Mm. I'm sure someone will tell us if we're wrong, but it's around yeah. that,
0: isn't it? And there were there were a approximately 40 of them on the shelf uh, in this secondhand bookshop and I mean I was a poor student at the time I I went to the the lady behind the uh behind the desk and uh behind the counter and I said is there any chance you can take these books off the shelf put them behind the counter and <laughs> I will buy them every like every few weeks I will come and buy them and she 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 was like of course as long as you Uh-oh. promise to come in and buy them yeah. so she took them so over the over the course of about two months i i must have spent about must have been about 200 pounds on these books wow. buying them wow. um and i've still got them they're in a they're in a, a, a an ottoman behind me i need to get them out on the shelf at some point oh, so yeah, yeah i've got i've yeah. got about 40 of them so i i started a bit of a a bit of a journey of reading them and i got up to Possibly Shadow Mind, I think it was, and which was quite—it was a few in in, Mm. into it, but I couldn't get into Shadow Mind, and and I just kind of—I started reading the Eighth Doctor books instead, and I kind of fell away from the the Virgin New Adventures a little bit. So they're kind of still there on my list of things to read whenever I I find time. I mean, I I would love to read them all in order and the same mm. with the
1: Eighth Doctor BBC novels as well. I'd love to read them all in order because I see on Twitter there's so many fans sort of talking about them and dissecting them in such a way and they have such a love for them. Mm. Even though they're very of their from what I gather they're very of their time. Mm. Um and a little again that thing of I was saying earlier I'm not a huge fan of which is you know Doctor being made into something it isn't which is very adult with big adult themes but yeah. there's a part of me it's like but that's a huge piece of Doctor history and, I'd, and by the sounds of it some really good stories came from that and some really good writers mm. came out mm, as absolutely. a result but it's just the fact they're so unobtainable that mm. you know you have to go on eBay and bid in some cases l- stupid amounts of money oh, for yeah, them it's and it's like I know they've done the odd one here and there but it would just be amazing if the BBC could just go do you know what let's just reprint these do Sexy new covers, maybe an introduction to the odd one here and there and bring all these back out. I imagine that would cost them more to do than it would that they would make, I guess. There's a pipe dream in there that I'm like, wouldn't that be beautiful one day? Um, But obviously a couple of them have come out. And of course, when Human Nature was released, re-released a few years ago, I I picked it up and I thought, well, I've got to give this one a read at the very Mm -hmm. least. There's, I think they added like a little blurb at the beginning just reminding you what happened in the last one because you can't go out and buy the last one. And I loved it. And even though I'm also a bit weird, I don't really read... I know I mentioned earlier, I read the Target novels, but I was only reading those because I had to, because I was <clears> reviewing them for a, a website. I, I normally prefer to read original Doctor e fiction. I'm not as, again, not beholden to the whole Target novel thing of, well, I'd rather watch it. I, I know these episodes as television. It's the same with like books and films. I'd, I'd rather watch... If, if the film came first, I'd rather watch the film. Yeah. Um. And so I thought with human nature, am I going to enjoy this? Because I love the TV episode. Again, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, Waters of Mars being one of my favourite Doctor Who stories of all time. Well, human nature's definitely in there as well. Mm. I love that two-parter, and knowing full well that it came from this book, I was sort of like, do I want to? Will I enjoy it because I love the TV episode so well? And I know this is going to be a little bit different, but how different? Yeah. Um. I like. I can't imagine this this love story playing out with Sylvester McCoy's Doctor. I can't imagine the Martha sort of character being a character that I don't really know a lo- know a lot about, which is Bernice Summerfield. Mm. Um. I've I had found it absolutely engrossing, and I just love the 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 sense of scale that it's given. Even though it's this really quite beautiful human story, I I love I love the fact that there actually there's so much more scale in it because it is you know that's what they did with these Virgin novels, and mm. they would later do with the BBC books, They're doing stuff that you couldn't do on a BBC budget. And yeah, just it just sticks in my memories. I I really love it, and I'm sure there's people out there that have read it. Cover to cover, hundreds of times. That would be able to, again dissect it in such a way that I never could. Mm. But I, I just want. It, I guess that's why I wanted to talk about it in a way because it yeah. was that kind of. It's a rare thing for me to read something that I know the story already and still be utterly engrossed in it and really invested in the characters. And obviously, there's characters in there that aren't in the TV episode. And and then there's callbacks in there. That there's stuff in there that you know they they called back to in the TV episode. They're like, well, we have to have. The Girl with the Red Balloon and stuff like that, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I found it really fascinating. And again, that's why I kind of wanted to talk about it here, was was talking about the fact that if you're kind of put off by the idea of, oh, you know, I prefer the TV episode, it's definitely worth reading the novel because there's, yeah. there's enough in there that's different and interesting. And I guess in a way, because the TV episode is rewritten by Russell T Davies, uncredited, mm. here you're getting Paul Cornell at his most sort of undiluted.
0: Yes, Um, yeah, yeah.
1: So that's, I guess, a a reason I'd recommend it. I definitely think it's one of the, yeah, there's not loads of Doctor Who books, novels that spring to mind where I go, I love that one, need to talk about that one. But this is one of them, definitely.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so I I read the book before I'd seen the TV story. So Mm -hmm. again, it was about 20 years ago and uh, I can't remember a hell of a lot about it, but I do remember it was a story that I, I read out of sequence with the, with any of the others. So I hadn't read the stories around it, the books around it. And uh, I remember finishing it and I immediately got onto my friend to tell him how good it was. And I I think he'd, he'd been collecting the new adventures at the time as well, but he'd kind of not read, read up to this point either. And uh, when it got adapted for the TV series, it felt different enough you know, mm. it felt it. it's it's it still has that the same flavour, but it was different enough that it was it could exist at the same time. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was it, I was quite happy for it to to be a um... see because in a way and this is not Doctor Who, but um, there's a uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the the original uh, Japanese version of The Ring. Uh, yeah, I have. Yes. Yeah. So um, that's fa- I saw that as a the, as the film to start with. That was, that was fantastic. And then I I bought the, the novel which the film was based on and there are similarities but it's different enough for them both to be valid yeah valid versions of the story and i felt i felt like that was the same with human nature
1: it's interesting you say that because actually this year for the first time ever i've i've read some books that are you know became some of my favorite films so i mm. read jaws and I love Jaws. Jaws is my all time favorite film, but I've never read the book. And so mm-hmm. I finally read it. And again, it was that it's like you say, it was different enough that it never changed my opinion of the film. It was in, it was nice reading almost like this alternative version in a way, because there is a lot in there that's different. And yeah, the same with Jurassic Park as well. I also read the novel of that. And again, that's very different in places. Mm-hmm. And there's clearly a different intention there from the writer as opposed to what he did with the him and David Coop did with the script mm. uh, for the film. Um, in fact I, I might be getting that wrong like write in and yell at me if I'm wrong I'm, it might be that actually Michael Crichton wasn't involved in the script at all for Jurassic Park I don't know um, but I know with the novel you know he had different intentions in there and you see them throughout and I can't say you know I, I think for me I always prefer the films but it's a nice little curio and if you really love mm. a film or really love a, this episode of Doctor Who it's fun to go back and kind of see this alternative version of it Yeah, it, it's the same as watching the Daleks in colour you mm. know as part of the 60th anniversary you know you i imagine there's people that really love the the seven part dalek story that weren't so keen on that mm. um but likewise it's interesting to go back and see it done slightly different it's same with like watching cgi effects on the yeah TV. you know this it's, it's nice we love alternative ways of watching our favorite stories or experiencing our favorite stories you know that's mm. why adapt and do adaptions of stories and you know into different mediums so yeah Yeah. I think it's a really interesting um, curio I guess I would say Um, but perfectly
0: valid as a really good book uh, yeah on in its own right as well talking about um, kind of alternatives um, it reminded me of and I'd like to find this uh, if I can but there was a Star Wars book that was released which was a By Alan Dean Foster which was a a kind of an unofficial sequel to the original Star Wars film um, which was released in 1978 so it was done as a as a as a a kind of a book sequel Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. George Lucas had even considered doing The Empire Strikes Back and it's called uh, what's it called it's called Splinter of the Mind's Eye Wow, um, and uh, I've I, every, every now and again I remember that this exists. It was considered the first installment of the star was expanded universe but it, obviously everything in it is disregarded by the time you get to doing the empire strikes back but it's like you know it's, it's it. i don't know where i was going with that but it's um it's i like kind of they kind of finding these interesting little curios mm. of um of things that kind of existed but they've, they've kind of been airbrushed out of existence now you yeah know? Uh, yeah it's quite an interesting interesting idea but um I mean, yeah, getting back to getting back to the, the Doctor Who books, um, what other Doctor Who books have you read? Is there anything Ooh. else that you feel could have been adapted into a TV story?
1: Yeah, quite a few. I've, I've read quite a few of the new series novels that came out, um, mm-hmm. especially during the like Eccleston Tennant era. Um, mm-hmm. I love um, Forever Autumn by Mark Morris. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's one that like that would make a really good two-parter and it's Mm. that i mean again it's a it's a matt and jim favorite it's it's a it's a dark horror story but thing of like actually doing a story around halloween would be really cool Mm. um uh so yeah that's a great one um i can't really think of any other stuff i would like be like no that definitely needs to be done on the telly Mm. i i do remember the the quick read novels they bought out I remember them being released, but I don't believe I bought Ter- any of them. Yeah, Terence Dix did a couple of them. Um, he it was did a one with Dalek
0: the... one, wasn't there, and
1: that Cybermen. Was... So I think that was a Gareth. There was a Gareth Roberts one to start with, and then Terence Dix did one with the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the idea was they always had a new, like an old monster in it. So I think they then did a Santaran one or a weeping angel one I think there was a Kry- a jadoon one or a krillotane one but i know terence Dix wrote a couple of them mm. and those i remember like reading reviews of those and those were described as described as these are a 45 minute episode off the telly adapted this is what they a 45 minute episode would look like in book form mm-hmm. um although none of them really stick out in my mind but i do remember like Reading those and going, wow, the pace of these is really good. Like, I, these would make good TV episodes. They're clearly written to be like that. In terms of, yeah, in terms of novels, I think it's, diff- it's that thing of, like, we were saying earlier when we we're talking about audios, is that. Some things just suit the medium they're they're written for, and uh, human nature, I guess, is kind of the is one of the few things that sort of breaks that rule in a way because it it does work really well as, when it's performed by actors. So it, and so actually, it, it, you know, it's a really good adaptation, a very successful adaptation in that mm. sense. One that would work really well, but you'd never would be able to do because you'd have to do it as a John Pertwee. So it's um like Mark Gates's novel. Um, Last of the Gadrine, I think. Oh, that's yes. yes. that's Perfect. He's, he's structured that so well. Yeah. It's like a perfect six part, per we era story. Even as, you know as certain characters turning up midway through the story like they would on television, mm-hmm. just, you know, and that it's that, I remember reading that and going, that's kind of cool. I feel like I've just read uh, an, un, you know, a missing John Pertwee story. Yeah. Uh, those are the, when the novels work best for me is when, when they're kind of capture that period of the show they're adapting. So like, I think uh, Jonathan Morris does that really well with his fourth doctor and Romana stories as well festival yeah festival of death, festival physical, of death yeah one um that works really no- you know i like that one and then there's ones that i like you know the books work really well because uh, you can get in a character's minds they're very good expanded on things that maybe weren't addressed properly in the TV series, you know. So I know there's a couple that, you know, deal with, like, Adric's death and Katarina's. There's a first Doctor story with... um, Which is essentially Dodo's first proper story. I do... There are a number of Doctor Who novels that I really like, but I I couldn't say any of them I would definitely turn into a TV episode. Mm. Um, I think they work... I really loved, as a kid, I really loved The Deviant Strain because that felt Mm. like my first... Doctor Who horror novel Mm. and I imagine if I went back and reread it now it might not have the same power it did but at the time it felt really eerie and scary and and Justin Richards wrote a really like good story for Jack in that Mm. um, which he kind of didn't get on TV at that point. Yeah, I like stuff like that that expands on characters a bit and has a bit of a, a darkness to it. But again, yeah. you know, I don't like it when it goes too far. Um, but there's none that really spring to mind that I would go, yeah, do that as a TV story. I want yeah. to see this adapted as a TV story. I, I think they
0: work perfectly well in their, their kind of own medium in a way. I listened to uh, the the Hamster Book Club with Joe Mm -hmm. and it was recommended to read Father Time. So I've been reading Father Time. Anybody who's listened to my Daniel Ronsley episode of this podcast uh, will be surprised because I started reading it when I recorded his episode. We're probably a few months further down the line now and I'm still reading the story. So yeah, I'm a very slow reader, but so I've, I read that and and I really like the i the ideas in that story. It almost feels like it could be a new interpretation of of the series. So if the series mm-hmm. had had a, a a huge gap like it did, and it came back as this story of um, the Doctor who's got no memory, he's he's living in a little village, he adopts a, a girl and raises her as his daughter. Um, she's the last of her civilization. His, his you know, he doesn't remember where he comes from, and it's all very Earth-based and and it almost felt like it it could have been a good idea if we were to have got a new series back then to mm. start with something like that, something a bit different. It's still yeah. it's still quintessentially Doctor Who, because they kind of build these this kind of cast of characters around around him as well. It's interesting to say that because I I wish the TV
1: series would kind of commit to a long, not a long-term change in the sense of, you know, doing it for, uh, you know, five seasons or so. But I would love them to commit to doing a full year where you do something like that. Because I know the comic, you know, the DWM comic strip did for a bit. Obviously, the TV show's done it before. I would be over a longer period with the unit and the, you Mm. know, Doctor being banished to Earth. I I wish the series would be brave enough to go and do that again. And yeah, like you say, doing something like that where he's kind of trapped in like, you know, the Victorian era or we the audience know something the Doctor doesn't, which is his memories have gone or something. I know that's been done in Big Finish before and but never to like an extent where it feels like it has any kind of big major impact. Mm. I'd love it if the TV series could kind of... You, I think the problem with it is that most Doctors only stick around for about three series and a couple of specials now. Yeah, And I think you'd need someone who was in it a bit more long term. Like if Shooty Gatwa is going to do five years, fingers crossed, you know, his fourth year you could do something like that. You, mm. could, you could change things up and have him, you know, trapped in a one time period or have him lose his memory and have to find himself again or yeah there's story potential there um it'd be interesting if they could do stuff like that Wouldn't well, you know and maybe they will maybe they will who knows
0: but i think um... it's a. I, I think it's an idea for a uh, you know if the series was to go on a break again an extended break and come back you know, seven or eight years after it after it finishes, I think that would be an ideal starting point um, yeah. to do to do an idea like that. To do a, mm. you know, a small a small scale smaller scale series, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a showrunner. I'm not a producer. No, no. I, I don't know. You know what? What I might enjoy might not be what the, the general public wants. But it's definitely a it's definitely an idea because I I always used to have this idea of. Um, of rebooting doctor who um and completely wiping the slate clean and having him almost like during the capaldi series 10 of him being a a lecturer Mm. at a university um whether or not that's a good idea i don't know but um yeah it's definitely something that i would as an idea Mm. that i would love them to use for for the tv series
1: have you read that um I mentioned it it in the Paul Hayes book, but it was actually originally a DWM article um, about in the late 90s, early 2000s, Mark Gatiss, Clayton Hickman and Gareth Roberts did try and pitch the Mm. show coming back. And they did have something like that, that Mm. it would be an amnesiac doctor that he knows enough about himself that he's, you know, he knows he's got a TARDIS and he, can fly in time and space, but that's all he remembers about himself. Mm. And I always thought that would be an in, it would be an interesting way of doing it. And I think it probably would have worked. Yeah. Um And again, it's that thing of the audience because they they say in there like the fourth story would have been the Daleks turn up, mm. and his companions are like, "Who's who are they, Doctor?" And he'd be like, "I don't know." And then it yeah be that, the, yeah that would have been. Fun because the audience is kind of in on the joke a little bit that the audience knows. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, we know what those are. You, you, you I'm worried for you now, sir. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Like, I think it'd be nice to see them do Saint Law long term, and that's something what the, the books and you know to less extent like the comics and the audios can do really well. That I guess the TV series just hasn't had a chance to do yet. No, um, I mean, I, i interested to see where we go moving forward into the you know this new Russell T Davies. Year. Era because I do wonder if maybe as much I love I like Doctor Who being something different every week, but I also wonder if maybe flux might be the right way to go, and that maybe it didn't one hundred percent crack it, but. It was maybe the right way to go that television's moving towards more, you know, long-term storytelling, and maybe that's the way
0: Doctor Who needs to go. At the time when it's Flux right. came out, I thought that this is this is how we're going to be now. I thought this, yeah. you know, this is this is the format that we're going to go with six-episode mm. season Once, arcs, one you part know. story, yeah. yeah. One, and um, and it and it, you know, it hasn't at the moment, but I think you might be right that sometime further down the line, that might be brought back in. I th- I think they'll have another go at it. I d- I wouldn't be
1: surprised, and I think it and I think it it just depends on the story you're trying to tell and mm. uh and whatnot. Like it 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 definitely can work, and mm. to an extent, it has worked in the past. And twenty six years of sort of doing that, you know, mm. you had a six part story every you know every for six weeks, and you know that seemed to be fine. And it's sort of come around now, but you'd just have instead of having a series of five six part stories, you'd have. Series of one six-part story, but that's yeah. fine. I, I mean, I quite like Doctor Who. I still like the episodic nature of television. Yeah, and my a lot of my favorite shows are things like Doctor Who, The X Files, Buffy, stuff where it's something you know the monster of the week, you know, yeah. something, something different every week. And I like the long-term stuff as well. But sometimes you just want to stick on an episode and be straight in, yeah. into the story and not have to worry about watching another five
0: episodes after. So yeah, um, so Doctor Who kind of does that for me. We're gonna move on to your next topic now, which is uh you want to talk about your favorite doctor um or doctors. I mean, they're all my favorite
1: doctors. This mm-hmm. is the thing. I find it I'm one of those that I can't list them. I can't list them in a like there's a there's a top three or a top four, yeah. But no underneath that all the rest of them are like not in any kind of order because I love them all. And there's no such thing as a bad doctor. They're all brilliant. Mm. Um they've everyone's bought something to it. Um, I don't yeah I I, I've never been disappointed by an actor in the role to this date like yeah I find it really but the the two that always top the list for me the ones for the most obvious reasons and there's one that you know I mean yeah you know fairly obvious reasons but I I just feel like doesn't get talked about as much especially not in the mainstream for me Patrick Trouton is is the Godfather of, mm. you know, he's the king. Like it's it's be- and it's that classic thing of it's it's because of him that every doc you know we've had this many doctors since. If he yeah. hadn't made it work, he wouldn't. But away from that, just and it's such a shame that so many of episodes miss- of his episodes are missing because mm. I could just watch him all day and yes. not just in that. I've seen him in other roles, you know. I've seen him in like you know you watch him in The Omen or mm. um, Box of Delights. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that, and he is just such a fantastic actor who just makes such wonderful choices even when he's not speaking mm. he's always doing something where it's little looks or stuff with his hands and he's just wonderful at physical comedy he's very um, visual isn't he yeah which mm. is ironic considering so much <laughs> stuff, so, so much is gone, gone. <laughs> like i love the animations that come out mm-hmm. and i do think they're good but i'd rather have those than nothing but yeah every time i watch one And I always try and watch them in the black and white version. And if there's an existing episode, I like to watch, black, you know, animation, animation. Yeah. And slot in the existing Black and white episode, episode, even if they don't quite match up. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, every time I watch one, I was watching Evil of the Daleks animated the other day. And it's a brilliant. It's one of the best ones they did. Um, And I'm so glad it exists because I finally got to experience that story visually in some way. But I just watch it and I just feel sad as well because I'm just like, I wonder what Patrick would be doing in this scene. Yeah. right now because the animation team they, they've they even said it themselves like they just can't really bring that element to mm-hmm. the animation it just would not be possible you just can't and you watch something like i mean one of my all-time favorite doctor who stories is, is tomb of the cybermen and in that he's just you get the full the full display of of, of second doctor in that you know the, yeah he's got that uh, lovely little scene with uh, with Deborah Watlin, with with Victoria. And it's so beautifully played and understated and sweet. And then you've got all the lovely physical humour with him and Jamie as they're, like, going into the tomb and stuff. And then mm-hmm. you've got the authoritative doctor. He just hits it all in one guy, go- And he does all that in one story. And it's the same in, like, all his other existing ones. You just watch him and I'm just drawn to him and, like, the lovely little things he's doing. I was watching, like, The Underwater Menace episode two the other day. And just in that bit where he's just in the background, like, You know, the camera's gonna come back to him very shortly because he's it's part of the plot that he's fiddling with like the controls and stuff. But just the way he's doing it in the background, it's just so good. Like just command, it's not scene stealing. That's the thing. He's not one thing he's really good at doing is he's not, he doesn't take away trying it's not an ego thing. He's not trying to take the attention off the other actor who's speaking, but he's just giving it his full like well this is normal this is real this is yeah. you know realistic that someone wouldn't just stand there and wait to say their next line
0: mm. they'd be doing
1: you know the things they'd be doing they'd be you know he wants to make it interesting yeah and i find it fascinating i find the man himself fascinating because you know he le- he he doesn't do there aren't that many interviews with him and when you do watch interviews with him he's either very shy or not very forthcoming or yeah it's kind of playing a up he's Playing the character of Patrick Troughton, yeah, to an extent, especially in like the the interviews he does around like the Five Doctors sort of time, he, he does he's kind that. Have
0: Is it is it on Pebble Mill? Um, yeah, yeah that's he, the thing. Is he, is he on there with Peter Davison? I think that's it. Yeah, and yeah. It's very, it's very interesting watching him because he's so very. I mean, he's an actor, of course, but he's mm. so very, very different to the Doctor. Yeah, he's. It's almost like he's a different different person in a way i was watching the um i mean i've seen the
1: clip a million of millions of times but the interview he did around the free doctors sort of time of the pebble mill Mm. um and in that you can tell he's not used to being interviewed really he doesn't normally like to give interviews but they're interviewing and he's very combative Mm. and not i'm very kind of like oh I didn't say that. Why are you you trying to like put words in my mouth and stuff like that and, and whatnot. And you you do feel there's a little bit of the doctor in there and he's being quite playful and stuff, but it's just so interesting. And it's the same when you watch an interview, you watch an interview with John Pertwee and John Pertwee's doctor is John Pertwee. Yeah. Like a brilliant, and you know, it worked for him. Brilliant actor. Um, And he's a very charming man in real life. He brought a lot of that to his doctor Um, with Patrick Troughton, like, there's a reason he's a character actor and they say, you know, he's one of the greatest character actors Britain ever knew mm. because you just, you know, the contrast is there. You see him like being interviewed and stuff. And then you see the, the types of parts he plays and just how he throws himself into them completely. And it's oh, fascinating. I can watch it all day. So like to me, Patrick Tran's always going to be one of the best. And, and, and mm. you know, it helps that a lot of his stories are some of my all time favorites. Yeah. Um, About, you know, Jamie McCrimmon is, definitely like one of my favorite companions as well and i love black and white doctor who yeah just because it's got that otherworldly sort of quality eerie sort of quality to it just mm. by the nature of being in black and white and very shadowy and grim and stuff i'm making myself out to sound like a right goth
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> love scary stories no, no, i, I, I white, agree but...
0: I, it's my it's you know it's one of my favorite eras is the black and mm. white era and it's there's just something i think part of it is because it's it's lost a lot of it is lost mm. and there's so much there to still uncover mm. and you know and and talking about you know the visual for uh, visuals of the second doctor era I remember when the enemy of the world got returned in 2013 mm. seeing these different performances from Troughton yeah it was like it was like opening up a present mm. and seeing this you know things that we'd never seen before and you know, it's the scene with um, with Astrid where he's kind of quite clearly flirting with her. Yeah. And it's, it's like brilliant. you would never have got that across on audio. No, you wouldn't no. and, and it just makes you think, what else are we not seeing? Exactly. What else has he
1: put into because I'm pretty sure isn't there like something in the Highlanders? There's a someone said, Oh, I think I, you know, somebody said that they'd seen it, said, Oh, I think there's a little bit of flirtation or some kind of mischievousness, sort mm. of there with Troughton's Doctor as well, with one of the characters. And, yeah. You know, I, I just want to see, I'd love to, you know, my, my dream would be that all the Troughton stories came back. I I would love every missing episode to come mm. back. If I had to choose between the Hartnall and the Troughton ones, I'd be like, I'd, I'd rather have all the Troughton ones back, please. Partly because also I'm being naughty and knowing that there's more missing Troughton ones, so I'm kind of <laughs> like, ha <Yeah>. I win. <laughs> um, but I I think as well, like just to have that era complete because you just see this, just to see more of him mm. doing his fang if yeah. that makes you know would oh, i just love it i could watch it all day and you know the one i savor the ones i've got of him and i think you know i mean i'm not a huge fan of the space pirates or the dominators mm. um i you know i don't think they're very good at all but i i would watch them and i get so much out of them yeah just yeah. because it's patrick troughton i mean i'm you know I'm again we we would, chatting in a break earlier about how you know every story is someone's favorite story I'm you know sorry if you're a fan of dominators I don't really like it but you know I I think it's you know Z list kind of Doctor Who but Patrick Patrick has given an amazing performance in it even though he clearly knows that it's not great material mm. um and I I just love that I I love so I can watch I could watch him watch paint dry you know yeah it yeah just it's so interesting yeah yeah um, and I guess in a way that's also why my second choice I kind of love is again for similar reasons, just because of the because of the choices, and, uh, and that and that is Peter Capaldi. Mm. And I think the the most excited I've been about a new Doctor announcement has been Peter Capaldi. That's the one when I was like, I am one hundred percent behind this. Mm. I think I am with Shooty, but I hadn't seen Shooty in anything. I've I've still not watched Sex Education, for example. No, I've I seen enough of other bits and bobs he's done. To kind of go, yeah, he's he's going to be great. Mm. Um, Jody as well. I was I was like, it was just it was the nature of this is one hundred percent. You know, this is one hundred percent completely different. We've not had something like this before. Yeah. However, I think she'll be great, uh, and she was. But Pete Capaldi was the one that I kind of went, yeah, why not? Yes, hundred mm. percent. I am so ready for this, and I was re- You know, again, I I love what he brings to it because. And I think a sense of something you you haven't really had. I think you had it a little bit of Eccleston, but he didn't stick around long enough for it to really kind of cement. Mm. But this sort of sense of danger to the character yeah. again. And I think I, I always say like Peter Capaldi is the closest performance is the closest you'll get to like a Tom Baker style performance because yeah. Tom Baker had that quality and I think, um, you know, and I think William Hartnell had that quality as well—that you didn't know how they would react to any situation. Mm. And I kind of love that about the Capaldi era. I, I find, see, C- I loved Series Eight on first watch. On rewatch, there's some of it I find a bit, mm, okay, it's not really my cup of tea anymore. Yeah. Um, there's some really good episodes in it. So yeah, so Series Eight, I think there's some good episodes in there, but it's not really the, it's not his strongest start. And I know a lot of people that didn't really watch. Beyond that, not necessarily because of him, but just because they weren't enjoying the episodes. And I would disagree with them on some, agree with them on others. But Mm. I really love series nine, series ten. And I just love again, it's like there's this sense of danger with the character again, and this alienness that I think, you know, we haven't had for a while. And I love the evolution the character goes on. Mm. That I love that he's he's very kind of antisocial and rude, and over time that that sort of he never 100% gets over it, but there's enough of a four, you know, in his character. Yeah. And he becomes less icy, and he becomes so lovable at the end and just really like the way he is with with Bill and Nardo and stuff. Mm. I love it. But I just, uh, a- again, like it, it kind of almost in a way a complete opposite of Trouton, But I think it also kind of embodies like, it's like you were saying, you know, about like the, you know, Troughton could, you know, would throw things in that were maybe a little bit left field or different, you know, he would throw mm. in some, you know, I'm going to make this seem like I'm flirting with this character, you know. Yeah. Capaldi does makes similar choices that mm. are just kind of like, different. and the writing you know, does a lot of the work for him in a sense of, you know, pushes his character into areas that you haven't really explored before, but yeah, there's just something really I love about the uh, Twelfth Doctor mm. um, that he's just completely unknowable and you don't know how he's going to react to any situation and I don't think you should you know I I think it it treads a fine line of in places especially in series eight of do you like this character or not but I think it gets it it lands it right in the end I think yeah um and yeah I so I those are the two I always kind of go for and I always feel like Capaldi even to this day I know fandoms warmed him a lot more but it always feels like a bit more of an underdog in the white in the wider sort of you know Fandom and like general audiences, so I'm always kind of like going to bat with for, for Capaldi because I just think, uh, yeah, definitely everyone should watch those. I'm always like, look, just 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 watch all of them, just watch all yeah. of his episodes, and you'll, <laughs> you'll get it, you'll
0: get it. Like he's brilliant, um, he is, he is brilliant, and um, he's through re watches he's always come out as my favorite new Who Doctor. There's just something, there's something about him. I think I kind of I wish he'd had maybe an extra extra series or two to kind of <laughs> expand a little bit more Um, because it does often feel like his kind of characterization of the doctor is very different in series eight to series nine to series 10. And it does yeah. feel like we could have done with a little bit more breathing room, I think, mm-hmm. for his doctor. I'm not saying that it's, it's jarring the way that his character changes, but it's almost like we don't get enough time to spend with each kind of yeah, iteration yeah. of his, his character really um, mm-hmm. in much the same way as Colin Baker, I suppose, you know, that we don't, yeah. we didn't get a chance to kind of, because Colin, Colin had a, a bit of a, um, a long game, didn't he? With, with his yeah. doctor that he wanted to start him off quite not, well, I suppose well, he was quite aggressive really, but uh, quite a, a little yeah. bit irritable, um, a little bit cranky and soften him over time. And, and I don't, I don't feel that we ever got enough. I mean, the, of that
1: no the the doctor you get in season 22 is completely different to the doctor you get at the start of trial of a time lord yeah like trial of the time lord feels very much like that should have been his third or fourth series mm. and that we should have had a you know i i again if i if i could go back in time i love trial of a time lord mm. uh I, again it's one of those like underdog stories i would always defend i i love it warts and all um but i do also wish that there was a season 23 a before it, I, yeah. I listened to some of the lost stories audios uh, that Big Finish did, and you know I I would love to have seen some of those done on television, mm-hmm. um, just because they were made originally were written for television. I, I I wish that you know we'd had three years of Colin at the very least, yeah. if not more. But it's weird, isn't it? Because you know I I watch in the same way that I watch series two of New Who. I can't imagine Chris Eccleston doing. Go in the fireplace, no. or Satan Pit, in no. the same way that I can't imagine Peter Capaldi doing Series Eleven with Chris. You know, under under the Chibnall no. sort of regime, uh, some things just kind of they you you do sort of wonder, and maybe they would have been different. Uh, uh, the other one,
0: you know, David Tennant nearly did Matt Smith's. First yeah, year. it's a very uh, it's an it. interesting. It's an interesting idea, isn't it? But no, you yeah. you're right. Uh, yeah, can you imagine David Tennant running around in? Uh, I don't know something like um, what like Beast Below or Beast something? Below or um, Amy's Choice or yeah, even uh, The Lodger. You know, it's, know it just I wouldn't know. fit. So it, it does make you think that you know this sometimes the stories are, are tailored towards the the actors rather than the, yeah, you know.
1: I guess they just become so ingrained in your head that you're like, I just can't imagine that. In the same way, I, even right now, like I'm kind of thinking. I don't think I'd have I can see Colin Baker doing Time and the Rani mm. or Paradise Towers. There's just something about them that they're just so Seventh Doctor. Yeah. In the in the but and I, but that ultimately comes down to how, the actor you've got playing the Doctor. So actually, it probably mm. wouldn't. If you could go. If I went back in time today, gave Colin Baker a contract for one more year of Doctor Who and then came back now and we have season twenty-four with Colin and then season twenty-five is Sylvester's first year or something. Mm. I'm sure we'd be chatting about it and going. I just can't imagine Colin doing season 25 <laughs> Like, in the same way. I can't imagine Sylvester coming on a year early and doing season 24. I guess it's just that thing of like, yeah. kind of. I've seen it as it's done now. I can't imagine it. There's not many stories where I kind of go, Oh, I wish they'd been able to keep to their original plans and have done mm. this. Um, as opposed to this yeah, there's, a, there's the odd one here and there but that's usually just like tiny little things you know you know i i like to imagine what the series three of Torch would have been like if they'd kept to the 13 episode standalone structure i know like you know andrew cartmel had a script for series two that never got made and that would have been part of series three mm. you'd have had martha join the team full time probably mickey as well So, you know, I I like to imagine that sort of stuff. You know, I like to imagine, I mean, this is more of a sad thing, but I like to imagine what would have happened if Sarah Jane Adventures had been allowed to run to seven or eight series, like, you know, it was intended and it could have gone out on its own terms. Mm. You know, I like to imagine what that would have been like in, you know, but it's always that thing, isn't it? We always like thinking about the what ifs and whatnot. Um, It'd be
0: interesting if one day a doctor does stay um, across two different showrunners, because I think yeah. that would be—we haven't had that in the in the modern era. We haven't. So it'd be interesting if that was to to happen one day to see the those kind of differences.
1: Yeah, I always imagine would like would Steven Moffat have gone to the effort of like changing the title sequence and the style, the, you know, the cinematography and mm. stuff, if David Tennant had stayed for one more year, or do you think he would have gone? let's just leave it as it is and not spend loads of money because we'll have to change it again in another year anyway, mm. you know, and do a fresh
0: relaunch when the new guy takes over. And then I don't know, but um, yeah. um, I'm just, if I'm now, I'm now, it's, it's got my mind, got my mind going now. I'm now, I'm now thinking of the 10th doctor talking to to little Amy and that yeah. kind of the, the music and, and being in Ledworth and mm. You know, it's, yeah, it's an interesting, it's like a what if really, isn't it?
1: It is, yeah. yeah. And there's, a, oh, I can't remember the 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 Twitter handle of who it is, but there's a wonderful um, fan on Twitter who has done this, has essentially imagined what it'd be like if the classic era, Doctors were in new series stories and they oh. do it kind of chronologically. So if Peter Davison is Matt Smith, hmm. then when Matt Smith um regenerates. That's Peter Davison turning to Colin Baker and then like the twelfth ah. Doctor is the sixth Doctor. And yeah. so he's they have um, you know, sort of photoshopped Colin Baker punching the wall in Heaven Sent and oh, stuff wow. like that. I I'm really sorry I can't remember their their Twitter handle right right now, but I see it all the time I see their their tweets all the time getting shared. Mm. And I think I'm always interested. I always look at them. I think they're great. If if that is you, hello, I think you're brilliant. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it's always interesting. Yeah. Those sort of what ifs and whatnot. And, you know, there's yeah. always those things, you know, you always imagine what, you know, these doctors that didn't get cast, you know, would have done with it and stuff. And it's part of the fun, isn't it? Of Yeah. Um, of the show is like, what, what could have been, you know, we could have had uh, um, among a few names, we could have had Chueto Four or mm. um, Pat and Joseph as Doctor Who at one yeah. point. And they, I reckon they would have both been smashing, yeah, um, but so. for whatever reason it, it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, I think even I think there is an interview where Patterson Joseph is pretty much like I, I did go for that audition and he's mm. like and I walked out and it was it's he said like um I knew that I hadn't got the part. I knew I'd done a bad audition and you're just like <laughs> oh Patterson, I would have I bet you didn't. I bet it was great. I, I bet you know, know. It just
0: you know I, I loved I loved him in peep show. I think he's fantastic in peep oh, show. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because I, I was unsure about him, um, but that's the only thing I, the only thing I ever saw him in was um, mm. was uh, um, Bad Wolf I and loved... the part in Other ways. Yeah, um, and I then in, I uh... saw him in Peep Show, and I was like, yeah, he could have been the Doctor.
1: <laughs> I loved him in Survivors, but again, he wouldn't have been. Of course, that was more he was like in Survivors, clas- wasn't he? Yeah, but that was more like classic sort of leading man, hero sort of lead mm. character. So yeah. I, it wasn't quite really a Doctory sort of part. Um, yeah, like yeah, it's you know it's the what ifs and stuff where it's the little ones or the big ones. Yeah, you know, um, I like to imagine what it'd been like if Toby Haydoke had got the part in uh, Pyramid at the end of the world. He's meant to be- he auditioned for the scientist part in that. Yeah. Didn't get it, and it's like, oh, it's, why is Toby Haydock not been in Doctor Who yet?
0: Yeah, I he's, mean, he's done big he, finish, but he's surely they just hand the him a bloody fabric now. of Doctor Who, isn't he? Really? He's. Why, uh... why
1: did he have to audition? Why did he have to just give him the part? <laughs> just give him the the part. guy, the, the, I mean, the guy, it. the the guy who played it, Tony, oh, I can't remember his name, the, the guy from My Parents is Alien. My parents are aliens. Mm. Um, is very good in the part. Tony yeah. Garth, That's it. Um, he's uh, yeah, like he's great in the part. But I do watch it and go. It could
0: have been Toby Haydoke, and it would have worked just as well, if not better. Who knows? Yeah, well, um, well, Russell, if you're listening, which you're not, I know, but uh, no. if you're listening, come on, give Toby a part. Yeah, give Toby a part. Toby um, a part. He does fascinating documentaries, um, yes. and he's just a generally uh, lovely guy. So um, we, we shall actually uh, – that's a, that's a, a little uh, hint as to what we'll be talking about uh, at some point later on. Um, but, yeah, um, yeah, the what-ifs – uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting avenue to go down, isn't it? Okay, that's the end of my first session with Matt. When we come back next week, we'll be discussing some slightly more niche subjects. But until then, whatever you're doing, hope you're having fun, and I'll speak to you again next time.